introduction, and welcome to Episode Epiphanies, a podcast where two best friends with very different tastes in TV shows make each other watch the pilot episodes of our favorite shows in the hopes that the other person will have an epiphany and start to like something they normally wouldn't. My name is Jessica, and I pretty much only watch live-action dramas. My name is Natasha, and I pretty much only watch cartoon shows. And this week, we are watching the show You, which is on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Has a very awkward title to try to say out loud. <laughs> yep. My roommate asked me, Lenny asked me what we were watching this week, and I was like, you! And she, for a second, she was like, what? <laughs> we're watching Lenny personally. Yeah. This is our recap of what Lenny has done in the last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally said that to her. I was like, yeah, we're both gonna just watch you for an hour and then talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would work perfectly and yeah. not at all be off form. No, no, no. That's our new format. <laughs> we just, we just our friends. Person. <laughs> oh, that'd be a really fucked up podcast, but it might be interesting. <laughs> Someone would do it. Okay. Did you know anything about the show before going into it? Um, I did a little bit. I'd heard of it. Like I knew it existed. I'd heard people talk about it. I knew vaguely that it was about a stalker. It was about a guy stalking someone. I was under the impression for some reason that <laughs> you was like the name of the person. He, well, like not literally the name of the person he was stalking, but that like throughout the whole show, they only ever referred to the person he was stalking as you. And I thought that he also had a, I knew there was a character named Love. And I thought that either like his name was Love or that he called the person who he was stalking you and Love. I thought they had weird non-names for some reason, because I've only <laughs> ever heard people talk about you and love. They have normal names. I don't know why. <laughs> but basically all I knew, knew it existed, I knew it was about a stalker, and I knew that there was someone called you, I guess, and someone called love. Those are all somewhat accurate statements, <laughs> except for that they don't have names. I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> I can see that, though, because... The show is focused on being like, you, like, Beck has a name, mm -hmm. but from Joe's point of view, she is you. Yeah. And I can see, like, Love is a character, we didn't meet her. Mm -hmm. So I could see where, how you got there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to say a lot about this, because I'm really interested in what you got out of it. This is one of those shows where I watched the pilot episode for this. And I kind of expected to struggle with the pilot episode because I've tried to rewatch this show before and it hasn't grabbed me the same way mm -hmm. because it is a thriller mm -hmm. and knowing the ending of a thriller can sometimes like throw off the pacing of it, mm -hmm. I find. But I did, when I started rewatching it, I watched like almost all of it yesterday, <laughs> all of the first season at least. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about this. You're going to hate it. I love that for you. This is going to be very funny for me. Do you want to jump into the pilot episode? Uh-huh. <laughs> the confidence. So, this episode, the show, it starts with a bookstore. There's a guy in a bookstore, and he's talking to you. It's like he's narrating. And he's saying, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he's saying something about, like, you walk into the bookstore, you're wearing a nice outfit, it's kind of, it's not revealing, but you're wearing fancy bracelets, so clearly you want people to look at you. Ooh, what <laughs> books are you gonna go buy? Are you pretentious? Blah, blah, blah. Real creepy vibes right off the bat. I mean, partly because I knew that this was about a stalker, so I knew presumably he was the creepy stalker, but even without that, they're definitely framing it in a way that it's supposed to be like, who's this creep watching this girl? <laughs> I also wrote, I immediately hate him. I think we're supposed to? Question mark? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, and then, you know, the rest of the episode went, and I was like, okay. But, like, okay. So the first little bit of the episode is this guy who works at a bookstore, we find out his name is Joe, and this girl who we find out, her, her name is Guinevere Beck, but she goes by Beck usually, so Beck is, like, shopping for a book at a bookstore, and this guy who works there is, like, watching her as she you know, looks for her book, and he's, like, narrating kind of creepishly. But it's also kind of framed like the start of a rom-com with their little meet-cute, but it's also framed as him being kind of creepy. And I wrote, this is the evil version of Lillian Dash. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is. It kind of is because it's the same, like, a guy and a girl in a bookstore being really pretentious about books. And... <laughs> 
I don't know. Just the vibe was similar, but like in an evil way. I get that too. It's something that I like about how pretentious they are about books in this show mm-hmm. is you are supposed to hate them for that. Whereas I feel like a lot of shows where you're really pretentious about books, you're like supposed to be like, oh, they're like cool and bookish. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is okay. This is kind of a question for all that's going to come up a bunch of my notes. Are we supposed to hate Beck? Because I hate Beck and Joe. <laughs> Beck sucks. <laughs> She's the worst. <laughs> like, I came, I came into it being like, it's about a guy stalking a girl. And I was like, we're probably supposed to hate the stalker. And we're probably supposed to be scared for or care about the girl. They both immediately come off as pretentious assholes that we don't like. They're like in the bookstore, like making fun of this guy for buying a Dan Brown book. <laughs> I guess. They're like, ah, oh, he's so pathetic that he wants to buy the Dan Brown book, but he's going to pretend he wants to buy something else to cover up that he likes Dan Brown. And I'm like, who the fuck cares? Why are you guys so pretentious? Uh, I did write, actually, I hate both of them. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, like, not to victim blame, but Beck is the worst. Okay. And she's incredibly fucking stupid. She's terrible. And I, okay, my biggest thing this whole episode is, like, I cannot figure out what the tone of this show is supposed to be. <laughs> because it's, like, creepy a lot of the time when we're focused on Joe because he's, like, I'll get into the plot, but he's yeah. a lot of it is just him narrating him stalking Beck, basically. And it's, like, really creepy vibes. And I'm like, okay, so we're supposed to be scared of him or at least find him creepy. But then, like, sometimes it seems like we're supposed to like him because he's, like, funny or charming. And he's, like, being nice to a kid. And then I was like, are we supposed to care about Beck? Because she's, like, the main girl. And we're like, oh, no, she's getting stalked. But also she's just kind of an asshole and is really dumb. And then I was like, is it supposed to be funny? Is it supposed (laughs) to be romantic? Is it supposed to be scary? And it's like, is it scary if we don't even care about the girl? I don't know. It's weird. It was not what I expected. Well, it was kind of what I expected, but I I didn't know what they were trying to make the audience feel. But anyways, plot-wise, they're making fun of a guy in a bookstore. They flirt really badly. It's like a meet-cute, except again, creepy vibes. There's a guy named Ethan who works at the bookstore with Joe, and Joe clearly hates him because Joe hates everybody, and so does Beck. They're like, oh, people are so disappointing. Ha ha ha, that's why we like each other. They just met in this instance, but there's clearly, like, a little, like, connection. And I think she gives him... No, she doesn't give him her number, but she tells him her name when she buys the book from him, and there's, like, a little flirty moment. And then there's ominous music. Specifically, she pays with her credit card, and he's like, oh, because you paid with your credit card, you want me to know your name? And then he makes Mm -hmm. a comment on how weird her name is, Mm -hmm. which is, like, psychotic. Yes, you're right. That is what it is. He says, because at first when he says, like, oh, you wanted me to know your name, I thought she, like, wrote her name down, and I was like, that's weird. But then you're right. I realized he was just looking at her name on the credit card, because he was like, oh, you could have paid with cash, but you wanted me to see your name, which, like, insane. But then he yeah. does just ask her her name. I think he says her name to her because mm. her name is, he's like implying her name's like kind of weird, which it right. is. And then she's like, yeah, but most people call me Beck. And he's like, oh, I'm Joe. And she's like, oh, cool. But again, he could have just asked her name and she probably would have told him. But anyways, he's weird. The whole That's thing is That's not what weird. this show is. And like, okay, the whole thing is like every time he's narrating in his head to her, he's doing... Just the grossest creepy man thing of being like, (laughs) you want this. You want me to be checking you out. Like she reaches for a book on a high shelf and he's like, oh, you're not wearing a bra. You want me to see that you're not wearing a bra. Ooh, blah, blah, blah. It's like so gross, but he's all in his head like, ah, I'm so smart. I'm picking up all her hints. (laughs) Or maybe he's like justifying to himself why he can stalk her because clearly she wants it. Anyways. But then he leaves the bookstore and she leaves the bookstore and he's narrating in his head about how, oh, he fell in love once, but he broke, got his heart broken and romance is terrible and everyone always gets their heart broken and case in point, And he starts talking about his neighbors who was like a single mom and her boyfriend and they're clearly in an abusive relationship. And he's like, ah, oh, they were in love once, but now they know that love is terrible. And then the neighbor's kid is like sitting on the stairs outside the apartment reading a book. And Joe is like, oh, kid, are you enjoying that book? And the kid's like, yeah, thanks for giving giving me this book. The kid's like, I don't know, 10, 12, something like that. Uh, And then clearly like the kid is unhappy because his parents are, well, his mom and mom's boyfriend are like having a shouting match and the kid's outside and Joe gives his food to the kid. He's like, oh, do you want this sandwich? Like I actually have leftovers. I don't need it. And the kid's like, oh, thanks. So clearly it's establishing Joe is nice to this kid. He's a creepy stalker, but he's nice to this kid, I guess. 
Okay, so there are a lot of people who watch this show and they like Joe and they're wrong because mm-hmm. Joe's the worst. But I feel like the idea with Paco, who's the kid, mm-hmm. is that Joe like very clearly has a hero complex. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how clear it is in this episode specifically, but a lot of his narration about Beck becomes like, I'm saving you from this. Like, I am good for you compared to whoever else, right? And I feel like they're trying to parallel that with Paco in a way that's like not creepy to be like, to like flesh out this idea. Yeah, and I think that later in the episode, because we do get to that, there's some more scenes of Mm -hmm. Paco later in the episode and more scenes of Joe being like, I'm saving you, Beck, blah, blah, blah. And, like, specifically the book he gives to Paco is The Three Musketeers, and then later he gives him Don Quixote and talks about how, like, it's all about chivalry and blah, blah, blah. So, like, clearly in Joe's mind, he's a hero and he's saving Beck from stuff. But, like, in the first scene where we see him being nice to Paco, that's not so clear, and I was like... Are they trying to just make it be like, don't worry, this psycho stalker is still a nice guy? I was like, ooh. But then later in the episode, I think it is more clear what they're trying to do there. But first scene is kind of weird. But anyways, Joe's nice to the kid. And then he goes into his apartment and he starts Googling Beck. And it's one thing to like have a crush on someone and look up their Facebook. People do that all the time. But he's like very specifically like high quality stalker skills going into like every possible area of her social media and life and putting together her life story and finding her siblings and blah, 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 and just doing it in a very creepy way. And also the worst part is that he's like very specifically judging her life. He's not just like observing. He's like, wow, you're putting all these things on social media about how your life is great, but it's really vapid and clearly it's not the real you. And the, the least attractive thing about you is how you go partying on the weekends and post about it. <laughs> it's like... The worst kind of person, but, like, also not over... You know, like, okay, so clearly he's, like, supposed to be a psycho and we're supposed to hate him. But also, like, all the things he's saying are things that people do say in real life yeah. about people, which just makes it, like, him... He's he's so annoying. I don't like him. <laughs> I know we're not supposed to, but I'm like, I don't want to listen to a whole episode of you being an annoying <laughs> asshole, Joe. <though. sighs> <sighs> Anyways, judging her life, stalking her, again... The whole, like, oh, you want this. All of your social media is on public because you want to be stalked, I guess. Because clearly you're crazy if you don't have your Instagram and Twitter on private. Also, Beck's Twitter handle is Bechdel Test. Which is kind <laughs> is of it? funny. Yeah. Very funny. <laughs> and I was like, it's just, it's, it made me laugh. I was like, I don't even know. Like, I don't know if they just, like, haha, they're like, this is a funny pun. Or they're trying to say something about how, like, she doesn't have enough... Her, her life revolves around men too much. I don't know, but it made me laugh. Uh, that's very funny. And I was, for a second, I was like, does this entire show fail the Bechdel test? But it definitely doesn't. So that's no. interesting, too. Even this episode doesn't fail the Bechdel yeah. test because there's actually, like, one or more scenes where Beck is with her friends, like her girlfriends, yeah. and they're talking about, like, Beck's poetry and the girl's birthday and, like, just stuff that has nothing to do with the men in their lives. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a point where uh, Beck is talking to her mom on the phone. I guess technically her mom doesn't have a name, but she talks to her mom just about her life. So anyways, the episode passes the Bechdel test and also it's Beck's Twitter handle, but like spelled Beck like her name. Yeah. After all that, which is like a page and a half of notes... Then we get the intro sequence, which is just the title, you, in, like, creepy letters. Then we get into the real meat of the episode, which is basically Joe following Beck around. He figured out her schedule from her social media and from, like... Because she's a TA at a university. She's, like, a writing poetry student. She's a TA at a university, and she also teaches, like, a yoga class or something. So he found her, like, schedule online, and he figured out where her apartment was and all of this from stalking her. And he's just, like... Watching her all day, following her around, watching through her windows at her apartment, following her to university, following her everywhere, and judging her again, just talking about how shitty her life is. <laughs> it's very funny because, like, he hates her he and does. he keeps justifying it. He keeps being like, but this is the real you. I know the real you. I'm like, you talk to her about Dan Brown for like five <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Like, he's literally invented a version of her in his head that he likes. Which is yeah. not who she is. And he just spends the whole time 
Like, obviously it's terrible that he's stalking her and it's gross and creepy, but it's just like, he's just so dumb and annoying that I'm not even scared of him. I just hate him. (laughs) So anyways, he's following her around, judging her life. He follows her to a bar where she's with her friends and one of her friends whose name is Peach, which is an interesting name. Peach is like... So he's in his head talking about how her friends are so vapid and stupid and rich party girls and she can do better, even though I don't know why he cares. (laughs) (laughs) But then one of her friends, Peach, like kind of has a private conversation with her about basically about how she bought a really expensive birthday gift for her friend but can't afford it. So they're talking about how she's broke. And then he's like, oh, Peach is maybe your only good friend because she kind of gets it. But then Peach is like, I can offer you money. So, you know, like, I'll give you a loan or whatever. And he's like, oh, actually, Peach is condescending. She's the worst. So he also hates Peach. I don't know. (laughs) There was just a bit about that. Oh, also the other thing. Okay. Joe hates Beck's friends and Beck's life. Beck Mm. also hates her friends and her life. (laughs) Like, every scene we see of her is just her being like, ugh, I have to hang out with my friends. I guess. Oh, my life sucks. And it's like, <laughs> so, and it's this weird, like, because if she liked her life and she was living her life and then Joe was like judging her, it would be more like, okay, sh- he's like inventing in his head this version of her and blah, blah, blah. But like, he's kind of right that like her friends suck and she, I mean, I don't necessarily think her friends suck, but she thinks her friends suck and she thinks her life sucks. So it's like, are we as the viewer supposed to be like, oh, Joe's right? Like, it's a weird... I don't know, it was weird. Because everything he said about her life, she kind of, like, seemed to agree with. Like, not that he's saying it to her, obviously he's saying it in the narration, but, like, he would say, like, wow, your friends suck, and then we would see a scene of her being like, oh, I'm so depressed, and I hate my friends. She doesn't say that, but, it, you know, in her body language. Beck has that, like, pretentious writer shit going on, where she's like, mm-hmm. I'm doing this for, like, the image, but it's not who I am. And, like, Joe mm-hmm. does get that, which is weird i Mm -hmm. yeah i don't have a good explanation for that maybe he is supposed to be right i mean it seems like it because then the next thing that happens is we meet bex i said ex-boyfriend at first but i think it's like her on again off boyfriend or her like fuck buddy kind of like they're hooking up but they're not really a couple and he like cheated on her but also are they really a couple doesn't really matter her her boyfriend His name is Benji. He's kind of a douchebag. Joe immediately hates him, immediately calls out that he's a douchebag. Beck clearly also hates him, but isn't willing to break up with him. So again, we're like, is Joe supposed to be right? I mean... I don't know. Benji's the worst. (laughs) Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. Everything that Joe judges Beck for, as the audience, we're like, oh, actually, he's right. And I'm like, I don't want to be agreeing with him. But I think the idea is that... Joe isn't supposed to be wrong. He's supposed to be going about it the wrong way and going too far, but he is not necessarily, like, oblivious to the world. That's fair. And I kind of get that, but I just hate him. I I also hate Benji. Benji... Oh, also, when Joe is talking about Benji in the narration, he's like, well, not to sound judgy, but... (laughs) And it's like literally every single thing you've said so far has been judgy. You know? <laughs> yeah. Which again is like, I can't tell. I feel like this is low-key supposed to be a comedy. <laughs> I do think you're supposed to like find it funny. Like parts mm-hmm. of Joe's narration are funny. Yeah. There's another part, I'll get to it later, but there's another part that, oh, it's coming up, where the tone really was wild. <laughs> Anyways, another thing that was funny is that Benji is make Benji, her boyfriend guy, has like a like a handcrafted soda company. And he's just, he tells Beck that they're making a cumin flavored (laughs) soda. (laughs) And I don't know why that made me laugh so much, but I was like, that's the absolute worst. I love cumin in food, but that's like the the worst soda flavor I could think of. You also put like, usually not very much cumin in food. (laughs) So like the only flavor is cumin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so that made me laugh. And then the next scene. Okay, so Benji and Beck, like, hook up, and Joe is watching from the window because Beck doesn't know that curtains exist, even though she's on a ground floor apartment. Like, right on the street. It's one thing if she was, like, in a high-up apartment and Joe had to use binoculars or something, but it's literally, she's on a ground floor apartment with giant windows, and Joe is just standing (laughs) across the street watching her have naked sex. Beck is an idiot. (laughs) Okay? Yes. (laughs) 
And then after Benji leaves, she starts masturbating. And then Joe watches her and, like, imagines himself with her and is having this whole dream sequence. And then he starts <laughs> masturbating. And then an o- outside on the street, on the steps, and then an old woman shows up, like, comes out the door next to where Joe is standing. And Joe immediately, like, pulls his hand out of his pants and then starts, like, helping this old woman with her bag. And I was like... <laughs> And the, the the tone and pacing of that scene was so, like, comedic. Like, obviously the idea of watching someone masturbate and then publicly masturbating in front of an old woman is really creepy, but they paced it in a way that was, like, very much like a scene from a sitcom. And I was like, what is the tone here? Wild. <laughs> Especially because the next scene, Joe goes home. He sees the kid. Paco again. And the kid's like, I finished my book. Can we go get another book? And Paco's mom and boyfriend are clearly having sex in the apartment. You can hear them. And Paco's waiting outside. And Joe takes pity on this poor kid and is like, yeah, let's go get another book from the bookstore where I work. So he takes Paco to get milkshakes and then to go to the basement. And this is when things get super creepy. Because <laughs> he takes Paco into this basement area of the bookstore where like... There's, like, one of those temperature-controlled glass or plastic rooms areas where you keep, like, temperature-controlled old books, which in and of itself is not necessarily creepy. Those things exist. But he calls it the cage, and it's, like, very much a murder basement. (laughs) The vibes are, like, a freaking this is where someone gets murdered. And he, like, takes the kid into the vault. And, like, the music and the way the shots are, I was like, is he gonna murder this child? (laughs) Like, they went from, he's so nice to this kid, to, like, very ominous vibes. But he doesn't murder the kid, he just teaches the kid about old books. And there's, like, flashbacks to when Joe was young. Because we find out, um, the owner of the bookstore is named Mr. Mooney. And when Joe was, like, a teenager, Mr. Mooney gave him a job and was kind of like a father figure to him, it seems. So I don't really know what Joe's childhood was, but I'm sure he has a tragic backstory. But Mr. Mooney taught him all about books. So we're getting flashbacks of, like, Joe teaching Paco about books, and then Mr. Mooney teaching young Joe about books in this book room. And then at the end of that, like, kind of creepy interaction, because again, like, the music and the shots are very ominous, even during this flashback. When Joe gives Paco this book, which is the Don Quixote book, that's when he's like, yeah, Don Quixote, it's all about chivalry and being kind to people, especially women. All men should be good to women. He's also talking about how books are, like, fragile and helpless. And he's like, helpless things need people like us to protect them. <laughs> Very obviously, that's what he thinks he's doing with Beck. And also, like, now I'm, the, the ominousness then, I was like, is he trying to, like, train Paco up to also be a stalker? Paco's gonna be his little mini-me? I don't know. But he gives the book to Paco. <laughs> And then he takes Paco home and Paco's stepdad is like, stop taking my kid places, you freak. And he threatens to put his eyes out with a steak knife or whatever because he's like, you're a freak for being nice to my kid. Which like, and then, okay, this is another thing where it's like, Paco's dad is right that Joe is a terrible person because we, the audience, know that Joe is a terrible person. But the reason why Paco's dad doesn't like Joe is stupid. It's just like, oh, I'm being nice to your kid. So it's this weird, like, juxtaposition of, like, in this scene, we don't agree with Paco's dad, because Paco's dad is being, like, a bully and being mean. We, like, are on Joe's side, kind of, because in this moment, Joe is just being nice and helping a kid. But, like, as the audience, we also know that Joe's terrible. So it's like, they're very much in this episode trying to set up, like, yes, Joe's a terrible stalker, but it's complicated. (laughs) There's sides to every story. Even a terrible stalker can be nice to children. I don't know. It was weird. (laughs) Okay. I do think to be, like, obviously we hate Paco's stepdad too. He fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. But to be completely fair to him, he has no clue what Joe is doing with this kid. If a random man who lived in your apartment took your kid out for hours on end and you didn't know that as a parent, that is bad. I agree. But, like, the way it's framed, and because they make Paco's dad such a terrible person, is, like, we're supposed to agree with Joe in this scene. But I think what's really interesting (laughs) about this show is how it shows, like, all these terrible people who are terrible Mm -hmm. in different ways and, like, Mm -hmm. can recognize it in each other but not in themselves. Because to Joe, Mm -hmm. this guy is a terrible person because he beats women. And Joe is like, Mm -hmm. that is awful. You shouldn't do that. And to the stepdad, Joe is a terrible person because Joe is fucking creepy. 
<laughs> but yeah. they don't like turn that lens on themselves. I think that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I do think they are trying to do something interesting there. And I'm, I'm kind of making fun of this show, but like I do kind of get what they're trying to do. And I do think there is something interesting about like having it from Joe's point of view and showing that even though obviously Joe's a bad guy, there's complexity and there's different types of bad people. But I just, I don't like (laughs) Joe. So I don't want any scene to make me be like, oh, maybe Joe's right. (laughs) I really knew this show was going to trigger your hatred of watching things where you hate all the characters. I don't like hating... I, I, If I hate all the characters, what am I even doing? <laughs> Anyways. Paco's nice. I like Paco. He's a small child who's just stuck in the middle of all this. Anyways. Oh, yes. So then after Paco's dad threatens Joe, Joe is like, Beck, there's terrible people in the world. That's why I have to do what I'm going to do. Which again, like, so there is the interesting, like, they keep showing Joe viewing other people as terrible and being like, that's why I need to save her. Which, like, psychologically is interesting. But I hate him. So, (laughs) what he decides to do, his response to, there's terrible people in the world that need to save you, is he calls a gas leak on Beck's apartment, because if you say that there's gas leak somewhere, apparently the gas leak people have to come check on it. And I guess the gas, I don't know, the repair guy, the... It's probably the city. The city, yeah. I don't know. Whatever. The gas leak people. (laughs) They come... To Beck's apartment to check on the gas leak that uh, Joe said was there. And they leave the door open because apparently gas leak people don't know how to close (laughs) doors. And Joe just walks into the apartment and is like, hey, Beck, are you home? You left the door open. And then the repair guy is like, oh, she wasn't in, but I checked on the gas leak. Tell her it's fine. And he's like, okay. And so that's how he sneaks into her apartment. I guess that makes sense. So he's sneaking around her apartment. He steals her underwear. He looks at her laptop. And also Beck doesn't pass her protect her laptop or her we find out later her phone which i don't think i know a single person in the world who doesn't pass her protect their phone right like your laptop maybe <laughs> yeah maybe your laptop but i feel like is it even possible with a modern smartphone to not put a passcode i feel like that is automatic <laughs> there might be a way to disable it but it's definitely the default to have it on you would have to actively want to not have a password <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's wild But anyway, she doesn't have passwords on anything, so he looks at all of her stuff on her laptop while sitting on her bed, and while he's doing that, we get a scene where Beck is talking to her prof, her MFA prof, and he's like, oh, you're falling behind, but it's okay, we can talk on Thursday, and let's get drinks, and it's very obviously like, oh, her prof wants to hook up with her, and she doesn't want to hook up with him, but she's trying to please him so she does well with her MFA because she's poor and can't afford to live if she's not a TA and doesn't have subsidized housing. She's having a whole thing with that. The teacher's also gross. Again, literally every character in this is terrible. (laughs) The funny thing about saying she has subsidized housing is the place she's in, in no way, shape, or form would be subsidized housing in New York City. Like, it's a small apartment, but it's like a nice ground floor apartment. It's gorgeous. It's in a townhouse. It has these huge windows. Yeah. No way the university owns that. Probably not. I Or, like, maybe the substandard housing is they just pay part of your rent, but, like, probably she could find somewhere cheaper if she needed to. But who knows? It's a TV show. People always have nicer yeah. places than they could afford. No matter what. That's just a fact. <laughs> okay, and then we go back to Joe stalking her. He sees her texts on her laptop. I guess she has, like, a... She has iMessage and a Mac, right? Yeah, like, iMessage. And she he looks at her texts on the day that they met at the bookstore, and she, like, texted her friends, like, ooh, I met a guy who reads. Maybe it's time for me to start dating again. Because there's only one man in all of New York who reads books. Legally. But he's happy that she, she texted her friends about him. He's like, I'm not crazy. You do love me. Oh, my God. Which, again, we find out later she does like him. So, again, Joe's right about everything, apparently. <laughs> Let's not go that far. Look, this whole episode is just Joe coming to wild conclusions and then the show telling us that his wild conclusions were correct. So then Beck shows up at her apartment and Joe is still there. So he hides in the shower and he's like, this is just like a rom-com. Guys in rom-coms are always getting into sticky situations <laughs> like this. That, the weird thing about that is that is somewhat true. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> Because the other funny thing about Joe is 
a couple, it comes up a couple times in this episode. I think he says something early in the episode and then this moment here where he's like comparing his life to a movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, your whole thing is books. Why are you comparing your life to a movie? <laughs> Not a book. <laughs> I mean, I guess a, I guess a rom com could be a book. I guess you could have a rom com book, but I also think it's maybe like I've read the book. I can't really remember it, but mm-hmm. it would make sense to me if in the book he was comparing it to a book, and they change it to a movie mm-hmm. just because of the cinematic quality of the show as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like it makes more sense. Yeah, but maybe. But it is funny because his his whole thing is I I'm a book man. <laughs> I'm a book man, but my life it's a movie. <laughs> Yeah. So he's hiding in the shower, and again, this whole scene comes off as weirdly comedic. He's like, oh no! And then she reaches in the shower and turns on the shower without moving the curtain or looking in the shower, which is a crazy way to turn on the shower. <laughs> Have you ever in your life reached into a shower without moving the curtain, not looking, turned on your shower to get it started? No. Like, that just, it's so awkward. That's valid. I also have never understood people who are like, you should turn on the shower before you get into it. I'm like, why Why would I? Yeah, and like, I turn on my shower before I get in, but like, maybe 10 seconds before I get in? Like, I'm already undressed, and I've already moved the curtain, and I'm about to yeah. step in. I don't turn on the shower and let it run for multiple minutes while I get undressed and get ready to get in the shower. <laughs> but she does, apparently, and so there's water going on Joe, and he's like, oh, but he doesn't react because he doesn't want her to know she's there, and he's like, oh no, what am I gonna do? Because she turned on the shower. But she's also on the phone with her mom while she did this, because she needs the shower to run for a long time before she gets in. I mean, maybe it's an old plumbing in New York and it takes a really long time for the water to heat up. Anyway, she's talking to her mom and she's crying and she's telling her mom that she had a terrible day, which like, as far as we've seen, the only bad part of her day was her prof offering to go have drinks with her. And like, yes, your prof flirting with you if you don't want that is uncomfortable, but that's the only bad thing that happened. And then he was telling her like, oh, you're falling behind, but she had to have already known that. It's not like she didn't know that she was supposed to give him more pages than she did. It's not, he didn't give her any new news and in fact was like, I will help you. And like, yes, in a creepy way. But still, it's not like he was like, you're on the edge of being fired. So I don't know what in her day was, this is the worst day ever, but she's crying and it's the worst day ever. Is that not the scene though, where he does tell her to go to part time? Yeah, he's, he's like, you could go part time. And she's like, I can't go part time. And he's like, okay, well then like, I'll help you. We'll go have drinks. He's not like, you have to go part-time right now. So I'm like, I guess him telling her she should upset her? I mean... But I feel like her reaction... I don't know. And I'm sure it's like, oh, she's stressed about money and life, but it seems like a bit of an overreaction. See, I think even if you do know that, like, you're falling behind, being confronted about it by someone who's in authority Mm -hmm. can still be, like, very rough. Especially if your mental health isn't great, which, like, Beck is not doing well in general. Like, yeah, the whole thing is she's stressed about money and blah, 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 blah. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I get it. Which is fair. That's fair. I I did. It just seemed like I felt like there was supposed to be something else, like, other than this one scene. Because she was like, I've had a terrible day. And I was like, was there something else that happened this day? But I was like, I think it's just that one conversation. But Fine. It was a stressful conversation. Okay, she's allowed to cry. (laughs) I forgive her. Like, we can drag back for a lot of things, but let's let her cry to her mom. Yeah, and it wasn't so much her crying to her mom. I was like, I get it. But it was when, because after this, her friends call her and they're like, hey, let's hang out. And she's like, I've had the worst day. And I was like, was there something else that happened this day? Yeah, that's fair. Anyways, she wants them to go to Greenpoint, which I guess is a like a hipster bar where there's like an open mic. Yeah. And her friends, even though they wanted to go to, like, a cool party place, they go because they're like, well, your friends will go with you. But they're kind of judging her, like, while she's getting jinxed, they're like, why are we here? This isn't the kind of place to read poetry. Like, Beck's just going to embarrass herself. Which, like, they're doing it in a very asshole way, but they're also kind of right, because, spoilers, Beck does end up embarrassing herself. (laughs) But it's mean to say that about your friend. It is. It's They are being mean. Like, obviously, we're in the scene. The friends are not being nice. Like, they are being shitty friends because they're like, oh, we should just go. Why did Beck want us to come here? But Beck is super drunk and she wants to read poetry. She does. Because she's like, I'm in New York. I need to, like, live the New York artist. I need to remind myself why I came here. So she goes up to the stage and starts reading her poem. 
and the audience gets really awkward and quiet because they were expecting, like, music or something. And then a guy in the audience starts, like, heckling her <laughs> poem, which is wild. Yeah. <laughs> like, even if you, even if someone was very awkwardly and drunkenly reading a bad poem at a place where you expected music, it's still crazy to be, like, heckling someone reading poetry. <laughs> it's just like, who are you, man, in the audience? So anyways, she's sad and, and Joe, oh, and Joe is there too, because obviously Joe's stalking her this whole time. And he is, like, when she starts reading her poem, he's like, I can't watch this. You're embarrassing yourself. This is, I can't even, I need to leave. Because <laughs> he's like, after all this stalking you, I can't watch you embarrass yourself. It's too much for me to handle. So he goes to leave, and then he's in the subway area, and then he's like, oh my god, look, it's drunk Beck stumbling down the stairs. This is like a dream come true. I feel like I'm dreaming. She's here. Because they're the only people in the subway. It's just him and Beck and this old, like, homeless guy who's singing to himself. Then Joe, <laughs> while watching her stumble drunkenly into the subway, is like, Beck, what if some creepy person had followed you down here? You need to be protected. And it's, like, comedically, like, obviously, like, so... Because Joe is the creepy guy, yeah. obviously. But he's like, oh no, what if some creepy guy had followed you? And it's like, oh my god. <laughs> What if Beck is very drunk because she's standing right by the edge of the subway platform, stumbling around, and Joe's just, like, watching her from behind a pillar, just watching, and then she falls on the tracks because she's drunk and standing right by the edge, and Joe runs over to her. Oh, and also Joe, while he's watching her, is, like, judging her for being on her phone and focusing on her phone, which, like... She's drunk and she should step away from the edge, but, like, it's not because of her phone. But whatever. He hates everything she does. Uh, so she falls on the tracks, and then he runs over to save her, and the old homeless guy is singing a song that one of the lines is, pick it up, and the old homeless man starts yelling, pick it up, and it's like, Beck has to decide between picking up her phone and grabbing Joe's hand, but instead she does neither. She just kind of lies on the tracks crying, and Joe's like, give me your hand, and then at the last second before the train comes, she grabs her phone and grabs Joe's hand, and he pulls her up, and they're lying on top of each other romantically, and then Beck pukes on his face. Haha, <laughs> again, is this a comedy? Nobody knows. <laughs> And then we cut to them outside somewhere and she's kind of cleaning up and he's cleaning the puke off of his jacket. He's like, don't worry, don't worry, it's fine. And she recognizes him from the bookstore and she's like, oh my gosh, it's you. I'm so sorry that I puked on you. And he's like, it's fine. And she's like, and he's like, I think I remember you too. And she's like, yeah, I know. I'm like really forgettable. And he's like, no, 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 I remember you bought that book, Desperate Characters, which was the book that they talked about. So obviously, like, he's pretending that he just barely remembers her, even though he's obviously been stalking her. Uh, and so then they get a cab together, and in the cab, he mentions something about her poetry, and she's like, how did you know I'm a poet? And he's like, and you see a moment of him be like, oops. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, well, you know, all young writers in New York are poets. Also, I'm pretty sure he would have no reason to know she's a writer. So he just again, didn't actually cover his tracks at all, but she just accepts it. She's like, ha oh, you're right, I am a poet. And he's like, nice, saved that one. <laughs> she is also very, very, very drunk. She is. She's very drunk, so she's forgiven for not picking up. And also, like, if someone mentioned in passing that they, like, thought you were a writer or a poet, my first guess would not be, oh my god, they've been stalking <laughs> me and broke into my house and read my poems. Like, I would be willing to wave it off as like, oh, they just guessed that I'm a poet. So, like, I forgive her for that, because that would be a crazy leap of logic. <laughs> yeah. So they cab together, and they're, like, having this moment, and she's leaning on his shoulder, and he's like, oh my god, this is amazing. And then they almost kiss, which would be really gross, because she just puked <laughs> on his face. I thought for a second you were just saying it'd be really gross because he sucks, and then you are like, she puked all over him. It would be gross because he sucks, but also, like, literally gross because she just puked on his face. So they both have puke mouths. Anyways. <laughs> but they don't get to kiss because Benji's there. Like, they get to her apartment and before they can kiss, Benji, like, knocks on the window. And she's like, oh, Benji, this guy just saved my life. And Benji's like, see, I told you, most people are basically good. <laughs> Which actually was the moment in this episode where I liked Benji the most, because Benji could have done the asshole boyfriend thing of like, why are you in a car with another man? But he was just like, yeah, people are good. Thanks, man, for saving my girlfriend. And I was like, good, Benji. <laughs> Night, good reaction. Yeah, Benji has his moments. 
But anyways, so she leaves with Benji. Oh, and before she leaves the car, he's like, oh, can I get your number? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she's like, oh no, I must have dropped my phone at the subway. She didn't drop her phone. We very specifically saw her pick it up. Joe kept the phone, but she doesn't know that. She's like, oh no, I dropped it. And he's like, oh, well, that's fine. And she's like, here, I'll just give you my email. So she gives him her email. When he drives, the cab drives away, he pulls out her phone and he's like, oh, you don't lock your phone, which is the most crazy thing ever. And starts going through her phone and talks more about wanting to save her. And then he goes home and Paco's outside the house and Paco's crying. He's like, oh my God, oh my God. And Joe's like, what happened? Did, did Ron hurt you? And Paco's like, no, 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 he didn't hurt me. But look, and he shows the book and Ron had like pulled part of the cover of, of the Don Quixote book off. And Paco's so sad and crying. Poor Paco, the only good character in the show. <laughs> So then Paco's so sad. He's so worried that Joe's going to be mad. But Joe's like, don't even worry about it. Come with me back to my creepy murder basement. I will show you how to fix an old book. So he's giving Paco lessons on how to fix an old book, like how to fix the cover and stuff. And we're getting all these like close-up shots on like the tools that Joe is using to fix the book, like glue and clamps and a hammer, very specifically. And I literally wrote here... I wrote, he's totally going to use these tools to torture, kill someone, and maybe lock Beck up in the cage? Because the way they were showing the tools and the, like, the cage, I was like, something bad is going to happen in this basement. And then we start intercutting the scene of Joe teaching Paco how to fix a book with Benji at his, like, soda company office, getting an email from some guy from the New Yorker or something, being like, we want to taste your soda. And Benji's like, oh my god, this is great. This is an amazing deal. And then we see him going to his meeting, and surprise, surprise, the guy who organizing the meeting is not some guy from the New Yorker. It's Joe. But Benji doesn't know that because he's clearly never seen the guy who he's supposed to have a meeting with. So, so Joe, pretending to be this New Yorker guy, He's like, come this way, we're gonna go to some little underground soda place, I guess, or bar or something. And Benji, because he's trying to seem like a cool hipster, is like, oh yeah, I totally know this place, even though Joe is leading him down the <laughs> alley. Benji's like, yeah, totally, I know where we're going. And he, surprise, surprise, Joe leads Benji down into his murder basement and... Then when they get down there, Benji's like, um, maybe this isn't, like, the right spot. And Joe's like, no, 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 it is. And he grabs the hammer, and he hits Benji in the head with the hammer. I didn't even think this was going to happen in this episode. I was like, this is setting up for later. But no, 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 he uses his book hammer to hit Benji in the head. And then we cut to the next day, and Beck comes to the bookstore and uh, has a present for Joe. And it's a copy of a Dan Brown book. And the inscription is like the lyrics of the song that the old man in the subway was singing. <laughs> and she's like, here's your gift. And Joe's like, oh my god, we already have inside jokes. In his narration, he doesn't say that out loud. And she's like, haha, okay, anyways, bye. And he's like, no, no, this is great. Do you want to go get drinks sometime? And she's like, yeah, I do. And then they have a date. And then we jump to... The very end of the episode, we see Benji still alive. I definitely thought he was dead, but he's not. He's alive, and he's been trapped in the cage. And my last note was, does nobody else go in the downstairs of the bookstore? I think, and I don't think they mentioned it in this episode, but I think Joe has the only key to the basement. And I think it's posed as, like, these are rare, expensive books, and Mr. Mooney doesn't trust everyone. Which is fair. Like, that makes sense. But I was just like... Wow, bold of you to trap your kidnapped. Oh, guy yeah, no, that is stupid. in your bookstore basement. That's dumb. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, at least he thought to lock him up because I definitely thought that he just killed him and left. Him <laughs> I was like, whoa! But he had slightly more planning than that. And then Benji's like panicking. And he's like, I don't know who you think I am, but whatever this is about, you have the wrong guy. And Joe's like, No, I don't. Creepy grin. And that's the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what did you think? <laughs> Imagine if I was like, I love this show. I love this show where I fucking hate everyone. Yeah. Look, I feel like there were parts that were interesting. I could see how from like a thriller, you want to know what happens point of view. Like, I do feel like they did a good job of like hooking you to the premise. I fucking hate every character. <laughs> and I think you're kind of supposed to, but that's not my jam. That's fair. I do think like... One of the fundamental differences between what we watch is you need to like the characters. I just need to find them interesting. See, I feel like 
I have no problem with characters who do bad things or are villains or are making stupid choices if there's something about them that I like. Not necessarily like I would like this person in real Mm -hmm. life or I think they are a good person, but that makes me like I like this character and want to know more about them. I didn't like any of these characters. Like, it wasn't even like they're bad people. It was like, I do not like them and I do not want to listen to them They suck. They're pretentious. (laughs) They're evil. Exactly. Like, if they do bad things and make bad choices but are still compelling, sure. But I was like, I fucking hate them. I don't want to listen to them. That's fair. So that's, that I don't like. That is fair. Do you want to guess what happens in the show? Well, I assume Joe continues to stalk her. I was going to say, I did have a note about how I thought it was going to be like he ends up killing or torturing someone with his book tools and then like trapping someone in the cage. But that does happen at the end of this episode. I'm actually, I don't know what he's going to do with Benji because I did straight up just think he was going to kill Benji, but he didn't. So clearly he's going to torture him for information, maybe to be like, tell me more about Beck so I can woo her better. He is eventually going to have to deal with the fact that people are going to be looking for Benji. So he's going to have to probably kill him eventually, or maybe try to like blackmail him into not telling anyone that he beat him and put him in a basement. So I'm not sure how he's going to deal with that, but Joe's going to have to deal with Benji in some way. He's going to continue wooing Beck. Maybe Beck is going to be so sad that Benji's missing and he's going to comfort her through it. I do know that in apparently season two, I think he's stalking a different girl. So maybe Beck dies by the end of this season or he just gets over her. Or maybe she joins him and now they're a stalking duo. I don't I love the idea that this show is about being so obsessed with Becky stalking her and you think the ending of it is just like, yeah, I'm over her. Well, he used to be in love with some other girl and now he's over her. I mean, she like broke his heart. So maybe he's going to be like, uh, Beck broke my heart by not wanting to be stalked by me. <laughs> Go stalk another girl. Probably not. He probably kills her or something. I would have assumed that he continue to stalk her for all the seasons, but because I'm pretty sure he stalked someone else in season two, something has to happen. Or I could be wrong with, about that. Or maybe he's just stalking two people. He's like, double duty. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely, I don't know what the rest of the show is. Because if every episode is just him stalking her and narrating to her, I can't imagine that that would be compelling for very many episodes. But if it's not that, then I don't... Is it just... Does she clearly, like, I feel like at some point she must start to realize he's creepy and try to, like, avoid him, but it's too late. I really thought that he was going to trap her in the cage, but now that he already trapped Benji in there, I feel like it would be redundant to then trap her. Maybe not. Maybe he gets rid of Benji and then he puts her in the cage. I think he definitely has a fantasy of basically, like, having her be his little perfect housewife and he takes care of her, but that clearly doesn't happen. I hope he doesn't kill Paco at some point, but maybe he does. Or he trains Paco to be his... Apprentice of books, but then like low key of misogyny. I don't know. He probably kills some people that he thinks are. He probably kills her teacher. Maybe he kills her friends. I don't know. <laughs> that was a great. That was a great description. That's what I think happens. I mean, the majority. Of, I'm. You don't give a shit if I spoil this. Are you gonna watch more of this no, show, Natasha? <laughs> I'm not gonna watch more of this show. Uh, the majority of the show is him stalking her, but also like. They do date. I think something that's really interesting about this show is, like, kind of something you had a problem with is, like, the tone switching between, like, Mm -hmm. this is a thriller, he's fucking creepy, and this Mm -hmm. is a rom-com. Because Joe and Mm -hmm. Beck do have some genuinely cute moments together, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. I I do think it's interesting, and it kind of came across in this episode, and and it seemed like it might come across more, that they're almost drawing attention to the fact that, like, general rom-com tropes could be creepy in the right circumstances or are kind of creepy and we just accept them in society. Mm -hmm. But I didn't... (laughs) I didn't like this show enough to trust them to really explore that well, but maybe they do. I think it's definitely there. I don't think it's, like, Mm -hmm. the point of the show. I do think they, like, explore that idea. A lot of it is Joe stalking back. He does kill Benji, eventually. Joe has this weird complex where he's like, I'm not a killer. I don't kill people. I wouldn't kill him. Which is, you know, fair, because I would argue that stalking someone is not as bad as killing someone. That is a different... That is that is another level when you get to murder. Yeah, it's just that he does <laughs> sure. kill people, and then he keeps being like, I'm not a killer, and it's like, 
Okay, well, at that point, you're just lying. Right, like, get over it. It's actually, the way he kills Benji is kind of funny to me, because Benji spends the whole time in the cage just, like, blatantly lying in an attempt to, like, get out. And at one point, he, like, shows Joe this video he has of, like, the worst thing he's ever done to be like, now I know the worst thing you've ever done, and you know the worst thing I've ever done, and we can just get out of here. Which I think is compelling, but then, like... Joe is really mad about how much Benji hates Beck. Joe, you also hate Beck. You also hate Beck. The funny thing is Benji is like, Benji is saying all of the things that Joe has said about Beck. He's like, she is shallow. She wants you to think she's this like literary genius, but she's not. And he's like, you think she's going to be your nice little housewife, but all she wants is to be spanked. And it's like, Benji. (laughs) Um, Benji goes about it the wrong way, but he's kind of funny. And anyways, he tells Joe he has this, like, big list of allergies as soon as he's, like, in the cage. And then Mm -hmm. when Joe decides he's, like, kind of done with him, he gives him a, like, latte that he Mm -hmm. pours peanut oil into. And Benji dies because he's allergic to peanuts. But Joe is just standing there like, huh, that could have gone any way. Either way, like, he lied about so many things. Who knew that was going to be true? Oh, that's great. I thought you were going to say the opposite of, like, he tried to kill him with it and it didn't work, and then he had to keep trying different allergies. That would be funny, actually. But this show isn't that slapstick. Yeah, 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 that would be more. (laughs) Yeah, he ends up killing back. He frames it on this therapist we meet, like, six or seven episodes in, who Mm -hmm. Beck is sleeping with. Uh, She actually, surprisingly, does not kill her T.A., Beck, like, stands up to her TA and is like, this is creepy, you've done this to other girls before, we're all gonna come out and, like, say this, or you can transfer me to a different, like, uh, preceptor? Is that the word they use in PhDs? I don't know. So he just transfers her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Joe kills back. In season two, Joe meets Love, and he's stalking Love. He moves to California, he meets Love, <laughs> he stalks her. Is she just as annoying of a character as Beck? Uh, Love is also a fucking psycho. <laughs> okay. Uh, Love is just, like, straight up a murderer. She's crazy. <laughs> There's a scene where someone specifically tells her, like, before you know this about Love and he's just stalking Love, there's a scene where someone, like, specifically sits down with Love and is like, Joe is insane. I know he's, like, really good at this boyfriend act, but that's not who he is. And these are all of the evident points that I have. And this is all of these things. And you're like, oh my god, yes, love, get out of here. Just, like, fucking go. And then love comes back with Joe. And I'm like, you're not going to fucking confront him. You can't be this stupid. And then she's just like, this is fine. We can work through this. Psychotic. She's psychotic. Oh, well, I guess they deserve each other. And then season three, he's married Oh, there's a season three? I didn't even know there was a season three. There's a season three, and season four is coming out, like, five days before this episode airs. And in season three, he's married to love, and they have a kid. Oh, no. And he feels trapped, because he's like, I didn't want... Like, he doesn't think he's a psycho, right? Like, that's Mm -hmm. his whole thing. So he doesn't want to be married to a psycho, because... Why did he marry her, then? (laughs) Because she was pregnant, and he's a good guy, and he's not going to abandon his child. Mm -hmm. He loves kids. He loves kids. And he's in love with this... uh, So he's married to love, but he's stalking this girl who works at the library, who we actually really like. She's the only good love interest. She's cool. And love cheats on him with this like, I'm going to call him a kid. He's not a kid. He's not underage. I think he's, like, 20. So he is too young for her, but he's not underage. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who, like, lives next door and is, like, home from college because his stepmom was murdered by love. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's a mess. It's very funny. Uh, it's... It's a show. That's, I'm like, is this a comedy? Like, honestly, the tone of this was so much lighter than I expected. Like, I really expected it to be way more of just, like, straight-up thriller. But, like, other than a few moments where they really, like, up to the creepy music and camera angles, I would say, like, 80% of this episode was, like, somewhere between generic drama and, like, 
comedy. <laughs> like, way more than I expected. Not, like, straight up. Like, not mm-hmm. like it's, it is a comedy, but it was a much more lighthearted tone than I... And obviously, I feel like maybe the pilot was a bit more lighthearted than the rest of it, because I'm sure it gets darker. But, like, that was one of the things that surprised me the most from the little I knew. Yeah, I think the show very gradually, like, tones down the silly and gets very, very thriller. Like, I would say the last episode of season one is straight thriller. I mean, if he murders her, it probably is. Yeah, like, it goes, like, dark as shit. He does trap back in the cage. Mm-hmm. The cage is, like, a whole thing. Oh, well, there you go. He has a new cage in season two that he builds <laughs> specifically to trap people in, because, like, he doesn't have the books anymore. <laughs> like, he's in L.A. It's... <laughs> It's just like, this shouldn't be a comedy, but it sounds like one. It is funny, and I think, like, Mm. in writing, you're always taught, like, even if your show is dramatic, even if your show is, even Mm. if it is scary, like, there needs to be some lighthearted moments. Like, Mm -hmm. even if you're writing a sitcom, there needs to be some, like, dramatic tension. Mm -hmm. There needs to be something sad every once in a while. And I think the show has an interesting balance of that. And I, I normally really like that. Like, I really like things that balance, mm-hmm. like, darkness and comedy well. But but I didn't like that. <laughs> if the characters... But I think also the premise of, like, I don't know. It just didn't work. I think the point of view does make it different. Because I think mm-hmm. that, like, you know you're not supposed to like Joe. And the fact mm-hmm. that he is, like, kind of funny. And that the mm-hmm. show, like, agrees with that in some ways. Mm-hmm. Can make that more difficult to watch than it would be in something else. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so I don't know. He kills a bunch of people. As you do. Yeah, that's that's the show. Okay, yeah. That's about what I thought. I actually, I, I was curious whether he killed people or not. Mm. Because I, I, I wasn't totally sure if he was going to go that route or not. Like, if it was going to go full, like, he's a murderer. Or if it was going to be more like, he stalks people because he thinks it's the right thing to do, but he's not, like, a criminal murderer. You know? Yeah. Obviously, like, stalking people is bad. I'm not saying that that's not bad. But there is definitely a different level between I am following someone around because I think I'm helping them in my fucked up way versus I am straight up going around killing people. Even if it's for the same justification, it's still, like, a lot worse <laughs> to kill people than to just follow someone around. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And I think Joe has this complex where he, like, is killing people. He still doesn't kill, like, a lot of people. I feel like even killing one Yes, person. yes, absolutely. But, like, my point is that, like, he has this justification where, like, when he mm-hmm. does kill someone, he's like, I had to do that. Like, he brings mm-hmm. it back to the stalking level. Whereas I feel mm-hmm. like love is on the other side of that where love will just fucking kill people. Love doesn't care. Love will kill anyone. We hate love, too, which is kind of funny because mm-hmm. I do feel like love could be one of those characters that's, like, psychotic and evil that I personally would love, but I'm like, love is out there, like... I feel like it also... The other thing about this is because, as far as I can tell, this is just straight up a regular world scenario. Yeah. Like, it's not... There's no magic, there's no super spies, (laughs) there's no... Because I feel like as soon as you get into a story that has a certain element of unreality... Yeah. Things like people murdering and stuff. Like, obviously murder's bad, even if you're in a magic world. But it, it has, like, a different tone, almost. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking of, like, um the show Dirk Gently. There's a character in it, Bart, who goes around just murdering people. And But I, she's a great character, and I love her. But because the tone is, like, comedic and fantasy and not real, it's a totally different tone than if it was straight-up real life and she was just a murderer. Yeah, I totally agree with that. <laughs> Okay, on that note, mm-hmm. I have to ask if you want to guess my favorite character. Both of my favorite characters are not in this episode. <laughs> One of them doesn't even appear till season two. Mm-hmm. One of them is, like, very vaguely mentioned in this episode, but probably not enough for you to guess it. Do you have a character in this episode that you would say is your favorite of this episode, or...? Everyone in season one sucks. <laughs> or they're just, like, not important enough to be my favorite uh-huh. character. You can just tell me who your favorite characters are. Okay, so my two favorite characters, one of them is Candace. Candace is the girl Joe is talking about when he's like, I used to be in love, but someone broke my heart. It's very heavily implied in season one that Candace is dead. And 
Why wouldn't she be? But Candace <laughs> isn't dead. Candace, uh, the, there's a whole thing where he's like, Candace has gone to Europe. And it seems like a lie. She just, like, picked mm-hmm. up her whole life, moved to Europe, stopped talking to everyone, stopped <laughs> posting on social media. It seems like she's dead. She's uh-huh. not. She actually went to Europe. <laughs> Candace is a badass. I love Candace. Candace comes back, like, specifically just to fuck with Joe. <laughs> she's the person who tells love that joe's psychotic and she shouldn't be with him so my other favorite character is love's twin brother 40 why are their names love and 40 because they're <laughs> do their parents love tennis <laughs> maybe aren't those both tennis terms honestly you just like blew my mind i don't actually think that's in the show or the book I think they're just supposed to be, like, rich, pretentious hippies. Who love tennis. Yeah. That seems like them. Anyways, 40, we'll get more into 40, but there's a point at which Candace is dating 40, mainly so she can go to events that Love and Joe are at and, like, (laughs) be snarky to Joe's face. Like, Candace knows this guy is a creep, and she hates him, and she broke up with him because he's a creep and she hates him, Mm -hmm. and yet she literally just spends all of her time openly insulting him to his face. Like, she's so funny. You need to move on, Candace. Go back to Europe. He's not worth it. I love that girl. She's dead. Oh, poor Candace. Everyone's dead. Yeah. Forty is also dead. Forty is the love of my life. Forty is like a fucking mess of a human being. (laughs) He's like this California party boy. He almost is Benji if you liked Benji. (laughs) Like, if Benji was a nice person who you liked... Mm -hmm. They're almost, like, two sides of the same trope. Because you know how almost every trope has, like, you can write this person and they suck shit, or you can write this person and they could be, like, lovely? Forty's, like, the lovely version. Because, like, he's kind of hipsterish. He's kind of, like, trying to do a business, but he can't. (laughs) He's, like, addicted to drugs uh, and, like, a party boy and a mess. But um, Forty's just lovely and he's funny and he's flirty and he's really nice and love is like this is my twin brother 40 who's like two minutes younger than me and i really have to like (laughs) protect him because he's like so childish and like innocent and joe fucking hates 40 he's like love gives too much attention to her twin brother and 40 has a big crush on joe it's embarrassing Everybody needs to get over this guy. He's terrible. It's actually very funny. This technically isn't spoiling the canon queers thing because I don't know if Forty is supposed to be canonically bi. He has big bi energy, but like (laughs) the man is unhinged. There's a scene where like he and Joe are like, we're going to lock ourselves in this hotel room and not come out until we have this movie plot all the way down and we have a good pitch. And the entire thing just really seems like Forty is trying to fuck Joe, who is currently his <laughs> sister's boyfriend. And it's unhinged. Well, I hope for I wish Forty got to fuck Joe before he died, but probably not. No, he doesn't. I'm <laughs> I'd be sad for him, but Joe sucks. <laughs> Yeah, actually, no one should fuck Joe. Forty gets to be with Candace, and Candace is super cool. There you go. Poor Forty. I was so sad Forty died. I was like, (laughs) like, this is my boy. Anyways, canon queers. Do you want to guess? You do meet one canon queer in this episode. Oh, uh, Joe's co-worker, Ethan. (laughs) No, uh, Ethan dates and marries someone in Beck's MFA program who is a girl. Dang it. I was hoping it was the one character I liked. <laughs> Is it Paco? The only other character <laughs> <No>. I like. <laughs> Imagine if they were like, here's this like 10-year-old who's only really here to show that like Joe has a good side. <laughs> He's <Don't> gay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Is it um Peach? It is Peach, hey. yes. Peach is not good. Canon queer representation. I feel like any representation of this show is probably not gonna be good because everybody sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's closeted as hell. Mm-hmm. There's this, like, very interesting juxtaposition between, like, Peach's creepy crush on Beck and Joe's creepy crush on Beck, mm-hmm. where they both are, like, to each other's faces, like, 
you're creepy. Is Peach also stalking her? No, but, like, Peach is, like, weird about it. Mm. Like, you can have a crush on your friend and be, like, a normal fucking person. Mm. And you can have a crush on your friend and be, like, weird and pushy about it. And Peach is definitely on the weird and pushy Mm -hmm. edge of that spectrum. Mm -hmm. We hate Peach, too. She's fucking wild. We hate everybody in this show. She also dies. A lot of characters die. Like, way I was kind of joking when I said, oh, I bet Benji dies and Beck dies and Beck's friends die, but apparently I was right. Beck, Benji, and Peach all die. Wow. I forget if we have more questions. Do we have uh, more questions? Favorite ship? I guess Love and Forty? Or not Love and Forty. <laughs> 40 uh, Candace and Forty. Candace and Forty. Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. There's no good ships in this ship. They're all bad. Mm. Everything is bad. I actually do weirdly really like Love and the, like, 20-year-old guy she's dating. (laughs) They're, like, weirdly cute. (laughs) All right, so the top ships are Candace and Forty and Love and the 20-year-old guy. Yeah, they're just cute. Like, he deserves better, obviously. Love's psychotic, but they're (laughs) cute. They have this, like, weird Twilight scene where they're, like, lying in a field (laughs) hanging out. Sure. Sure was a show. What thing that is also a show are we going to watch next week? (laughs) Alright, so, going in a different direction, because it would be wild if I had a cartoon that was similar to this show. Yeah, like what, like, Death Note? Oh, we should watch Death Note at some point. But anyways, it's not Death Note. It is technically a show that there is both an animated version and a live action version, but we're going to watch the animated version. Ah. It is, the animated version is called Modao Zushi. It has a few different translations. It's it's Chinese. It's a Chinese animated show. Sometimes in English, it's called The Grandmaster of Demonic Cultivation. And we're going to watch the first episode and we're going to talk about it. (laughs) Love it. Okay. Thank you all for listening to this unhinged episode. <laughs> yep. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh my gosh, I forgot that this is our <laughs> Valentine's Day episode. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day. Our romantic advice for the week is don't do this. No. Don't do what <laughs> Joe's doing, but also don't do what Beck's doing. Because if you have windows on the ground floor, close them before you have sex. Oh, and also password protect your phone. <laughs> and also don't stand on the edge of a subway when you're drunk. That's our advice for this episode, because we always end our episodes with advice. If you like our advice, you can <laughs> you can email us at episode50s at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at epiphaniespod. You can use the hashtag episode epiphanies or epiphaniespod. We will check them both. You can leave us a review on iTunes. And if you do, we promise not to stalk you. <laughs> Even if you don't leave a review, we promise not to stalk you. Just putting that out there. <laughs> Just in general, we won't stalk you. Also, who is you in this scenario? Just any person who listens to us? Yeah. We just won't stalk anyone. I don't know what to say here, but you would because <laughs> you you not being back in this case, but <laughs> you, the listener, are smarter than both of us combined. That is true. <laughs>watching this show for the first time so Dr. Nikki appears and it's John Stamos and he looks hot as shit and you're like actually this is fine (laughs) sure actually we can watch this now